At RWJ Barnabas Health, we have a passion for heart health. With the largest adult and pediatric cardiac surgery programs in the state, a heart transplant program that's top 15 in the nation, a partnership with Rutgers Health, the latest technology and medical advancements, and nationally renowned care for every heart in every one of our communities. Whoever your heart beats for, our hearts beat for you. Let's be healthy together. Visit rwjbh.org heart. RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey's largest academic health care system and official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. Let's be healthy together. Learn more at rwjbh.org. Hi again, everyone. I'm Matt Lachlan. Welcome to Speak of the Devils. Pleased to be joined by Sam Kassan on a very special podcast as someone who has seen everything basically that hockey has had to offer over the last 80 years joins us. Stan Fischler, now a Hockey Hall of Famer, as last week it was announced by the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame that he will be inducted in December. Sam, what a great interview we have forthcoming for our listeners. Oh, absolutely. And not only Stan's memory is amazing, the way he churns off names, teams, all the details. You can see why his writing is so articulate, uh, the way he, he speaks. And I thought one of the more fascinating stories, not, not just that you broke up a fight that our listeners will soon hear about. I didn't know you're quite the referee there, Maddie, but, uh, <laughs> but also really we have Snow White and the Seven Dwarves to thank for eight decades worth of Stan Fisher material. I mean, that's when he, when he became a fan of the, the sport in general. And obviously we'll let him tell the story in more and more detail, how going to see Snow White and the Seven Dwarves ended up being, propelling him into a lifetime career of eight decades plus involvement in the National Hockey League. And Stan will touch upon greats like Gordie Howe, Lou Lamorello, his time, Stan's time with the Rangers, covering the Islanders, working and still working, covering the New Jersey Devils. Uh, he is a walking encyclopedia. The Maven, indeed, is an apropos nickname. A lot of funny stories, a lot of great moments coming up. So let's introduce the Hall of Famer himself, Stan Fischler. Stan Fischler, congratulations on being inducted. Well, it will take place officially in December, but the announcement last week that you were being inducted into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame, a well-deserved honor, long overdue, and welcome to Speak of the Devils. Matty, I have to tell you a joke that uh, is directly related to uh, this. Here's the gag. So a snail, a snail was mugged by two tortoises in Riverside Park, and they call the cops, and the cop comes over, and he takes out his pad, and he says to the snail, so tell me what happened. And the snail looks up at the cop and says, I don't know what happened so fast. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So, so listen, what we know is you are a hockey Hall of Famer, but not necessarily joining fellow comedians in the comic hall of fame but that's all right that's all right <laughs> no seriously here's the connection i'm not going to tell you a joke without a connection right so i was uh, visiting my oldest son ben and uh, family in portland oregon and we were sitting at the uh, dinner table and all of a sudden the phone my phone rings and i get on and this guy he says uh, you know uh, i'm calling you from the uh, U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame to tell you that you're 
going to be inducted. Now, that, that's what I'm saying when I said it happened so fast. I had, I had no idea that I was being proposed. This came out of the, I, I tell, I'll tell you, I was so surprised. I thought this was the fantasy hall of fame. I mean, because, uh, you know, it took me, it, I was stunned. I, I was stunned. And uh, uh, of course, uh, now that I've been able to uh, go on with, uh, we, we had a, uh, a press conference myself, Peter McNabb. How, how great was that? I worked with Peter eight years on the Devils. And uh, of course, Paul Holmgren. So uh, the, my, my, uh, my reaction was one word, grateful. I'm uh, so grateful because, you know, I mean, uh, I started out uh, back in 1939, seeing my first game, and, uh, and, and now I'm inducted into the U.S. Hall of Fame. It, it's, fact, an incredible, it's an incredible sure journey. What? I said it's been an incredible journey, and I'm wondering if because it took so long, and I don't want to put people down who run organizations, it's not my style, but, you know, you wonder why now like what took so long nothing has changed about your contributions to the sport other than you continue to contribute content covering the sport that you love so much so was that why it was a surprise you thought that perhaps it wasn't ever going to come the ship had sailed somehow well i was surprised because i ha usually somebody is behind you you have a, a rabbi or a group uh campaigning for you and uh, there were, I had, you know, there was nobody, nobody said a word to me uh, about it. Matter of fact, I had proposed Howard Baldwin for, the, for this year's uh, uh, Hall of Fame because he had done so much and he was instrumental uh, in my career. But uh, it was just, uh, uh, so it, you, you say, well, why did it take so long? And my answer to you was, What's the rush? I mean, <laughs> I'm only I'm only 89, Maddie. So what? You know, <laughs> actually, actually, if you want to know my comment about getting this, begin his luck. <laughs> you know why? 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 Because in 1939, when I saw my first game, this was the start. This was the beginning. And then when I when I got my first opportunity to uh, do work for the Garden, for the Rovers, you know, for the Eastern League, when I was still in college, I was a, still a beginner. And of course, I went on to get my first paying gig uh, with the Rangers in publicity. I was it. So, and I, you know what? I'm still beginning. I, I, you know, I write a piece every week for the Devils, and I. I do one for NHL.com, and uh, I am still, I'm not kidding now, I'm still learning how to write. I'm still well, learning how to write. The, the, the journey continues, and who knows when the end is. And by the way, the Fischler Report is issued, uh, was it a weekly basis, Stan? The report comes out on Monday. you got to pay for that. Well, that's okay. About Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And that's free, and that's on, on, you know, and that's part of the writing that I'm talking about. I have a, uh, I actually have a, uh, what do they say, uh, a uh, new model. I have a new model style now. I write in English. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> check out, uh, go, go to Stan's uh, Twitter account and uh, you can follow a link and you can subscribe to the official report. Sam? Yeah, actually, I want to kind of go back. You talked about, you know, beginner's luck and you talked about the first game you went to in 1939. I know you shared a story with me and a couple of compatriots about that day. And it was almost an accidental happenstance that you went to the hockey game. I wonder if you would share that story with the listening audience and how you ended up. You were supposed to go somewhere else, but eventually ended up at Madison Square Garden. Well, my my thank you for my career is for Snow White. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> uh, thank you again. What happened was uh, <clears throat> at that time, at the age of seven in 1939, it was absolutely, absolutely important for every kid to go see Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Like today, you know, my, my granddaughter here with Star Wars, I don't know how many thousand Star Wars they've done, but every kid has to watch Star I had to go to see Snow White, like every kid on the block. And my father says, I'm going to take you Sunday afternoon. So Sunday afternoon, we get on the subway. And we were going to the Globe Theater. It was on 47th and Broadway. And when we got out, the subway stopped at 50th and 8th, which was where the old Madison Square Garden was. And it was pouring rain. We didn't have an umbrella. This theater was like five blocks away. And my father says, we're not going to go see Snow White. We're going to go over here. There's a hockey game at this place called the garden. I didn't know what the weather. I thought they were growing beets and vegetables in the garden. Who knows from the garden? <laughs> so um, it wasn't beets and vegetables. It was sticks and pucks. And I started to cry my, my heart out. I said, Dad, you promised me Snow White. He says, we're not going to walk five blocks in a pouring rain. You're going to come, come here. And he dragged me in. And I was so furious with him. I had to find a way to get even, you see. So the, now the Rovers with a Ranger Farm team were playing the Washington Eagles. And my father, I see, he's rooting for the Rovers. And I said, hell with this. I'm not going to root for, root for the other team. And I hope he loses. My team wins. And it turned out, you know, by just uh, miraculously, there was a guy on Washington who looked like my favorite radio cowboy, the Lone Ranger. His name was Normie Burns, and he was blonde, and I liked the way this guy looked. And he scored a three-goal hat-trick. My team won. My father's team lost, which was the most important thing. And now it's Monday, the next day, and I'm in PS 54. My, my third-grade teacher, Mrs. Gould, calls on me to do a show-and-tell. I don't know whether you know what show-and-tell is, but I had to get up there and show and tell, and I did the hockey goalie, because the goalie was the most intriguing thing about hockey to me. And Mrs. Gould gave me an A. And I said to myself, this hockey ain't too bad. I got <laughs> my father lost. I just got an A from Mrs. Gould. So my father took me to see Snow White the following Saturday. And after we walked out, I said, Dad, can you take me to another hockey game? And he did. <laughs> the next day, I went to see the Baltimore Orioles beat the Rovers. And we, I, from that point on, I never stopped going. So I said, thank you. And then I said, seven more for the seven dwarfs. Thank you, Snow White and the seven dwarfs. And that's how, that was the beginning. That was it. I, that, from that day on, I never stopped going to hockey games. Amazing. I mean, basically show and tell from the very beginning, from seven years old, hockey's been a part of your life. And at what point did you know you wanted to make this a career? Was it in high school, college? Was there a moment where you're like, 
this is what I want to do with with my life? You know, uh, the the Rover games were terrific. Uh, they were double headers. There was a Met League game, local players, Sands Point Tigers, Manhattan Arrows, Brooklyn Torpedoes, Jamaica Hawks. Bill Chadwick, the great uh, one-eyed referee, was in the Met League. That's how he he actually lost an eye and went into officiating later, which is still hard to believe. And um, at the Rover Games, they had a program, and it was uh, filled with uh, lots of great stuff, and it had a roster, both teams. The page that had the roster had a lot of white space, and I started one day after a, a game, I just instinctively started to write a story on the white space. I still have all of them. Uh, it's really funny when you look back because whenever my team lost, I found fault with the officiating. <laughs> <laughs> I never stopped. I was going to say that has stayed with you forever. <laughs> so the answer to my question, uh, to your question, Sam, is that's when I, I knew because I nobody was paying me to write this stuff, and and you know it, it just grew from there. That was the beginning. That was the beginning. And you said you still have those programs? Yes, I. I the other thing that really was part of my uh, love of the game in 1952, when I was 10 years old. You notice how I had to think. <laughs> I wasn't good in arithmetic. What can I tell you? <laughs> so, I thought two and two was five for a long time. Anyhow, I for my birthday, my 10th birthday, my parents gave me two wonderful gifts. One was a radio that was this about this big. It was fil a Filco radio. And the other thing was a large scrapbook about this book, this big. And it had a... Uh, three-dimensional face of an Indian on the cover. And I was, by that time, by age 10, which was 42, I was really into hockey. And I started clipping all the stories that I got out of the papers. My father used to bring home the World Telegram and we had the Daily News in the morning. So now I'm clipping, so now the other part of it is, my birthday uh, happened in March. March 31, same as Gordy Howe, Pavel Bure, my cousin Daisy. And I put, it happened right in the middle of the Stanley Cup final between the Maple Leafs and the Red Wings. And that was the classic. It was the only time in NHL history that in the finals, a team lost the first three games, Detroit won the first three, and then Toronto won the next four. And this little cockamamie Philco radio between 710, which was WOR, and 770, which was then WJZ, now WABC, I got the Toronto, CBL in Toronto, and Foster Hewitt, you know, was the Dean of Hockey Broadcasting, he invented, he shoots, he scores, is broadcasting this, you know, this game, which is when the Leafs are making this great comeback, winning four straight. And I was fascinated with the broadcast. 
And I was even even more fascinated with the nicknames on these guys. Toronto had crazy nicknames. Had a, Wilfred McDonald was a defensive. His nickname was Bucko. And Bucko McDonald. His partner's name was uh, Edwin Campman, and his name was nickname was Bingo. So he had a Bucko and a Bingo on defense. The goalie's name was Walter Broder. His nickname was Turk, Turk Broder. And their uh, best left wing was Dave Schreiner, and his nickname was Sweeney. So you had Bucko, you had Bingo, you had Turk, you had Sweeney. And, of course, the captain was Sylvanus Apps. Now, to a Brooklyn guy, I never heard of the name Sylvanus then, and I never have. I never knew <laughs> Sylvanus for the rest of my life. So these th- the, all of these things blended together, you know, the – Maple Leafs, the comeback, there's Foster Hewitt's broadcasts and Shuchi scores and that, and of course the scrapbook. And I have saved every scrapbook from 42 to 45. I put the stuff together. 46, I began subscribing to the Toronto Globe and Mail because I was a Leaf fan starting with that broadcast. And so from, from 46, 47, I have every scrapbook to 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, and 52. I I still, in fact, yesterday, believe it or not, I was trying to figure out a story that I was writing and I, I, that happened, something that happened in December 51. And I, I had my scrapbook and there it was. Incredible. You don't have to Google things. Stan just goes to his scrapbook. He doesn't have to go to a search engine. He's got it in his home. Uh, Stan, just a a great story. You know, we talked about having to continue to develop. And then you jokingly said, you know, still learning how to write. and You're writing in English now. But one thing that you did, and I'm wondering what the genesis of it was, was back when I first started covering hockey and got to know you, uh, personally, more than just the personality, was that you had and still have reporters in each hockey city. Uh, We affectionately call them Fischlerettes because they were an extension of the great Stan Fischler. But back in the day, before the internet and before instant news, you had these reporters in these cities sending you information, in some cases sending that in every occasion, I believe, sending you clips from the local newspapers so that you were on top of things before it got out. What? How did that start where you thought, you know what, there is a need for quicker information, better information than waiting, as I did back in the day at Seton Hall's library, waiting for the Los Angeles Times on Sunday to be delivered by Friday so I could read the Sunday Times and read some of their great columnists. You decided there was a better way than just sitting around and, and waiting for that delay. How did that all come about? Here's how it happened. I, uh, uh, I married Shirley in uh, 68. And uh, I think it was, a, it was a year late, about uh, 69 or 70. I had already been writing hockey and I had done books. So I, you know, my name was out there. And I got a call from this guy. I believe it was with Warner Books. And he said, uh, we, I want you to, uh, want me to do a book a year. And every year it would have the same title, but a different date. So it started with Hockey Stars of 1975, say. And, uh, 
I decided that um, I'm going to be writing about stars and other, you know, from guys from other cities. And I had already made uh, friends because when I was newspapering, I uh, had contact with Toronto Star, or Montreal Star, Montreal Gazette. And I also, uh, Shirley and I brought in an intern. First intern was Jory Leviton, was his name. And by coincidence, uh, his father uh, ran the best delicatessen, best kosher delicatessen in the neighborhood. It was SNL on DeKalb and Marcy. And uh, it was Shavinsky and Leviton. So I, my intern could get me all the free salami I wanted. Thus, thus no coincidence. No coincidence. <laughs> so anyhow... Uh, so I started having interns. And the second intern that I had, who, by the way, I believe, I believe played a part in my nomination, was Frank Brown. Frank Brown was going to Hunter College, and his name was on the title page, you know, by Stan Fisher. And then in clearly defined letters, research editor, Frank Brown. Frank sent me the picture of that page the other day, by the way. So it, this kid, Frank Brown, he worked out real good. So I said to Shirley, uh, you know, I think we should have an, an, for, for the next for the hockey stars of 78, we should have another intern because Frank went on to bigger and better days. And of course, we became AP hockey guy, and then the Daily News, and wound up uh, vice president of PR for the NHL for a long, 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 long time. And very proud of, very proud of Frank. So uh, I decided that I had to get information from other cities, and then I began with uh, Toronto and 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 so on. And that's uh, uh, and actually when Sports Channel America carried the uh, NHL on its network for at least for one year. Shirley and I, my wife and I, were getting these papers. <laughs> we were, you know, we'd send it with FedEx to them every, for every game. That's, uh, that's how different things were. Mm -hmm. That's how different things were. Stan, how did you end up um, getting involved with the Rangers as a publicist? Like, what was the, what was it that launched your career into the publicity, the publicity side. What about, and you want to know how I was in publicity? Yeah, how, how did you, did you start off writing, you know, doing your scrapbooks? How did you end up getting into the publicity side of the business? Well, what happened, what happened was that in my final year at Brooklyn College, uh, I, of course, I was going to the games now on a regular basis, and I was writing, and I went up to the garden uh, to see Tom Lockhart. Tom Lockhart was uh, then the head of A House, which is now USA Hockey. He was head of the Eastern uh, Hockey League where the Rovers played. He was the head of the Rovers. He was the head of the Met League. And I went up to him and I said, I'd like to do a weekly newsletter for the Eastern League. Of course, for nothing. I just wanted it for the, uh, you know, get uh, experience. He says, do it. Tom was a fan, fantastic guy and played as big a part in my career as anybody else. So now I'm going up to the garden every week, delivering 
my story. He's sending it all over the league. And I'm meeting people at the garden. And one of the guys I met was Herb Boren, who was the publicist for the Rangers. And I graduated the next year. And he, of course, he said, how would you like to come to work for us? It was, the, it was September uh, 1954, for the 54-55 season. Now they're paying me to do what I loved, you know. And of course, that was the beginning. I worked, I worked in the, I actually was getting 50 bucks a week. And, uh, you know, it was a Monday to Friday job, but this was so much fun. I went in on Saturday. And then, of course, I was there on Sunday because we ha had the game. And that was, that was really the, the greatest thing that ever happened in my life up until then including the one goal I scored in roller hockey for the, uh, I want to, I don't know whether you can see this picture. This is a great picture of my roller hockey guys and taken in Brooklyn. Uh, the guy in the far right is me. You'll see my jeans are ripped at the knee, which was fashionable 50 years before the women got the idea to do that. <laughs> You're a trendsetter there, a fashion setter. <laughs> So uh, from that job, I wound up uh, in newspapering and I wound up uh, covering the Rangers when it was a six-team league. I started covering uh, the Rangers, would have been uh, the uh, 65, 64-65. And that was it. That's how, uh, and you know, later came television. Was I it didn't want to go into television, by the way. You didn't? No. I, in those days, it's very hard to imagine, but in those days, print guys like me, you know, we worked on the typewriter, print guys resented TV people. They were like the uh, Johnny Come Latelys of the media. And uh, we thought this was a cheap way to make money. In, uh, but in, uh, let's see, the... WHA started in 72, 73, and in uh, the fall of uh, 73, I got a call from a guy named Eddie Andelman, who was, did a radio show in Boston. He knew my stuff. And he said, how would you like to do television for the New England Whalers? And I said, well, Eddie, I'm a print guy. We, we don't want to, we don't have anything to do with TV, but thanks very much. He says, wait a minute, he says, don't hang up. Let me tell you what I can get you, because he was now acting as my agent. And he told me some fee, which was so preposterous that I said, well, go ask for it because they'll tell you, get out of here. And the next day he calls me up and he says, you got the gig. You're making X amount of doughs. Whatever it was, it was so ridiculously more than print. And that's how I got into uh, television uh, very awkwardly. Kicking and screaming. It's <laughs> a good drag on TV, and most people want to be on TV. Well, the thing is, so how did I get to the NHL? The second year, I was again doing uh, the uh, TV and beginning to learn a little bit about it. And uh, Marty Glickman, who was the dean of all New York uh, radio sportscasters, uh, called me up. 
I was doing a game in Toronto. I was at the Royal York Hotel. The phone rings at two in the afternoon. He said, how'd you like to do NHL hockey? <laughs> I said, well, of course I would. Who wouldn't want to be? And um, I did with Spencer Ross uh, the very first Islanders home game, which was the next to last weekend of the 74-75 season. And that game was the clincher for the Islanders making the playoffs for the first time. And, of course, that was their miracle. Uh, they beat the Rangers in the opening round, unbelievable. Then they were down three games to Pitt, and they won four in a row. And then they wound up playing uh, Philly, and they were down three games, and they won the next three. But Kate Smith intervened. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Chico Resch, our good friend, was a – the man who helped them come back against uh, that Pittsburgh team. And uh, J.P. Parisi scored the goal for the Islanders against the Rangers to go down in not only local hockey history, but National Hockey League history with that goal. And you are a walking chronicler of that history. So a lot of things, Stan, happened because, uh, A, serendipity, you were in the right place at the right time, beginning with the fact that it was raining on that day you were supposed to go see Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. But you also had vision. You also asked, you didn't wait necessarily for someone to come to you uh, and say, how about this job? You said, hey, can I write for the Eastern League, et cetera, et cetera. When did it go from local to national? When, you know, when did the hockey news come in? When did you start writing books that became the best sellers? Because you did write a bunch of those. What, what was that step there? Natty, you weren't listening. Beginner's luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you wrote those, you know, Stars of 75 and all those books. I got that. So I, maybe it was just momentum. But was there a moment that, bang? Yeah, yeah there was. There, there was. Well, first of all, going national in 54-55, uh, I'm doing, uh, you know, publicity for the Rangers Getting to know all these guys, Dana Mosley of the Daily News, Stan Saplin was then with the Journal American, Jim Burchard with the World Telegram. All these guys, you know, these these writers, and I'm, you know, I'm in the press box. This is at the Old Garden, and they're all great guys. There wasn't a rotter in the lot. They were just terrific. Dana Mosley was with the Daily News, was doing the Rangers stuff for the Hockey News. Now, I had been an original subscriber to the Hockey News when it came out in 47. I got to know Ken McKenzie because I made my, my first trip uh, uh, to Montreal uh, with a couple of friends to see a, a Canadian Detroit game. So in 1953, uh, uh, or in Montreal, I went up to see Ken McKenzie because he was the publisher and, you know, and he was like, like my idol. I mean, hockey news was the Bible. And I got a picture of me and Ken and, you know, and so he was like a pal. And the next season after that first one, 54, 55, Dana Mosley decided to give up the uh, hockey news thing. And Mackenzie offered it to me. So now I'm writing for the Hockey News. I'm covering the Rangers. Uh, later on, later on, <laughs> I got fired from the Hockey News 
because uh, Bill Jennings, who's then the president of Rangers, didn't like what I was writing, and he got me the hell out of there. So I got lucky. I went from the hockey news to the sporting news. So now I'm writing, you know, the sporting news is like the all sports Bible, baseball, blah, 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 blah. I later went back to the hockey news, by the way, but that's another story. And uh, of course, I, uh, I got to know guys like Milt Donnell, who's the sports editor and the columnist for the Toronto Star. And I'd see him at the, you know, at the uh, Ranger uh, Leaf games or whatever. And he asked me to send stuff to him. And so it, and, and the book thing happened by accident. One of the guys who I got to know from uh, publicity days was Jack Zanger, great guy. And he was with Sport Magazine. At that time, Sport Magazine was like the biggest of them all, bigger than SI. XI was a little bit later. And Jack uh, knew me as a hockey nut. And he said, look, a guy asked me to do, I've been doing baseball books for Grosset and Dunlop. They want me to do a hockey book. They want me to do a biography of Gordie Howe. And I don't, I, I don't think I can do it. Why don't you do it? So I said, well, I'd be happy to do it. <laughs> Uh, particularly since they pay money for these things. And uh, so that was it. By, by accident, I wound up uh, getting a, a, a book deal. And the Gordie Howe book uh, uh, did very well. You want to hear the story behind that? So now the book, the book is done, right? Yeah. And about a month after the book is out, I get... A letter. Now, you know, you can tell a letter is very important if the return address letters nearly jump out at you. And I opened this thing up and it's from a law firm in Detroit. And it's you were something to the effect that you had no right to write this book about Gordie Howe and blah, 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 blah. And guess who signed it? John Ziegler. <laughs> John Ziegler became NHL president, was representing uh, the Red Wings or Gordy, what the hell? And I went right to my editor and I showed him this thing. Of course, I was frightened. But whoever re gets a, a letter with the, with the letters about one inch high. <laughs> so I gave it to my guy and Bob Markell was my editor. And he said, uh, they have no right to do this. You can write any, you know, like people write Abe Lincoln biographies. He doesn't get out of his grave and say, you can't uh, write about me. That would be so, a story. <laughs> <laughs> you matter. Don't be funnier than me. <laughs> so that was the beginning of about a hundred books. <clears throat> But great books, not just any old books. I mean, great. You know what? I did a book that deservedly was great. You know why? Charlie and I did a book. It was called The Great Book of Hockey. That's the title. <laughs> so automatically, nobody could deny that I did a great book. I have about seven or eight of your books uh, behind me as we record this. So, uh, but you know, the Bruins and, you know, you Don Cherry had you write his book and you had a feud with Don Cherry. That was the best part. And in fact, that story was told on a devil's hockey game where 
Cherry says something about, you know, Stan, like you're a big pain in the butt or whatever, having some fun. And he goes, yeah, but you asked me to write your book. Yes, I did. He said something along those lines. Right. What was the feud? Well, the uh, I don't remember what it was. And uh, I mean, I've had plenty of feuds, as you know. Uh, Roland Dratch, the producer, likes to tell when Mike Leute came down the hall looking to <laughs> gonna do something not nice to me. But uh, like ring my neck hey, but, after a uh, after a column in which you did not actually, exactly praise his play. This actually happened, Maddie. When Cherry was coaching the Colorado Rockies and they were terrible, Mike McEwen did something stupid. And when on the ice and when when McEwen came to the bench and sat down, Cherry went to Mike McEwen and grabbed him. But he was literally wringing his neck. The next night, Colorado, or the night after, Colorado was at the island playing the Islanders, and I had Cherry on, and I said, I want you to show the audience how you nearly choked Mike <laughs> to death. And then there's, I have the picture. He, Cherry was, was choking me. Uh, so... Uh, I, that that the feud with Cherry wasn't really serious because it really was very hard to get mad at, <clears> and, <throat> and vice versa. And the book, hey, the book did. I, I'll tell you what I did get angry. Yes, now I remember. I got angry at him because the book sold out, and uh, and I said uh, about five or six years or seven years went by, and I said, Don, we should do a book. His, I think his wife was, was dissuaded him uh, from doing it. And he said, uh, next, if I ever do another book, Stan, you'll do it. And he did do a, another book later, and I didn't do it. Okay. <laughs> That's, but did it you ask him why? I mean, why, why not? A, it wasn't a feud type feud. It wasn't a feud type feud. I, I mean, I had feuds. I mean, uh, no, no question about it. But uh, yeah. but you never the, backed away from that, right? You never backed. Uh, and when I say controversial, I don't believe you ever were controversial just to be controversial. You had a take and you stuck to it. You also understood that what we do uh, is entertainment. You want people to read your stuff. You yeah. want people to listen to you or watch you. But you had a take. But you never you never backed away from that. You never necessarily wanted to be the guy that everybody loved, right? You, you if you come at me, I'm going to come back at you, right? I got into a, got into a lot of trouble. Well, I, uh, obviously, I told you, uh, Bill Jennings got me fired from the hockey news. I mean, uh, so I wasn't going to. But I'll uh, I'll tell you another story about that because this was also scary. I was covering the Rangers. And this was my first year on the beat, on the Ranger beat. I'm with the Journal American uh, quite a while now. I succeeded Dave Anderson. Dave went from the Journal American to the Times, and I moved into Dave's spot. And uh, Jock Plant was the Ranger goalie, and they sent him down to Baltimore. Uh, that was the farm team, which was quite a put down. And while he was in Baltimore, he did an interview with some Baltimore writer where he was very critical of the Rangers, of uh, this and uh, the dressing room is a dump and this and that and the other thing. So I called up Jacques 
And uh, I interviewed him and he said, yes, and this and it. And I wrote the story. The story ran on a Tuesday. And on uh, that day, I believe I got a call from the Rangers, the, the Ranger PR guy. Uh, no, this was, there were two, two different ones. The one with Plant, uh, they called a press conference the following Thursday. It's Tuesday. The story ran Wednesday. They called a press conference. They never told me that they were having it, but I got wind from Benny Olden of the Associated Prison, uh, Press, and uh, I, I showed up there. And uh, I, had, I took all the notes with me. And, uh, and Muzz Patrick was the GM. And of course, he was uh, uh, embarrassed uh, by this. And uh, he got very angry at me. And he uh, did this and he did that and the other thing in front of the other writers. And I had all my notes there. And uh, he exploded. And it, it didn't do him any good because he got fired the following Saturday. But the other, the other one was, uh, I wrote, this was also with the earlier, uh, it was a game at the Garden and the Rangers were doing badly and the fans were yelling, Muzz must go, Muzz must go. So in those days, I did a main story and then I did a sidebar with little notes. And in my sidebar, I wrote, uh, you know, the, the fans were chanting, Muzz must go. So the next day, I get a call from John Halligan, who was the Ranger PR guy, and he says, you are not going to be allowed in the uh, press box, or you're not going to be allowed in the dressing room. They didn't have a press room in those days. In other words, they were shutting me out. Now, that could have been the end of my career right then and there. Because they were saying, so I, I went to my editor, Max Case, my sports editor. This was make or break. And I told him that uh, this is uh, what they are doing to me. And Max, you know, as I said, this is make or break for Fisher's career. Max called up Irving Mitchell Felt, who was then the head of the garden. And he said to Irving Mitchell Felt, if uh, Fischler isn't given all the rights that you guys are depriving him of, there's not going to be another word about the New York Rangers in the Journal American. Just like that, the doors opened again. So Max Case saved my career. <laughs> and that was a real feud. I mean, it didn't get worse than that. Well, I mean, I got thrown out of the uh, Canadians dressing room for, you know, I mean, you want to hear that one? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Told Blake was the uh, most intense coach. This is when it was a six-team league. And, you know, if the, if the Canadians lost, I remember one game at the Garden, uh, the Rocket, Rocket Rashad was going for a record. He scored whatever the goal was. He beat Gumbawsley, broke the record, and uh, Rangers won the game 5-4. So myself and Joe Brew of UP went to the Canadians' room and were waiting outside the door you know, to get to the rocket. And the door is locked. So we knock on the door and uh, door opens a little bit. It's the trainer. And uh, we tell him we want to go in and see uh, the rocket. And he closes the door and he goes to Toe Blake, you see. Tells Blake who is there. 
Blake opens the door. This was the biggest steel door in the history of steel doors. And he slammed that door. I think it set off the Richter scale in California. That's that's the way Blake was. So take that story. And now I'm up in Montreal to do a story for Sport Magazine on Bobby Russo. He was the hottest player in the Canadians. And I'm up there. And it was a Thursday night game. The Canadians got this great team. And they're playing the Maple Leafs. And they weren't too good. And they never won in the forum. Never won in the forum. So I'm up there to do Bobby Russo. And the Canadians are playing the Maple Leafs. And the Maple Leafs beat him 6-0 in the forum. So I got to, you know, I got to do my thing, right? So I go down to the dressing room. And I'm, you know, uh, one of my buddies was Claude La Rochelle, who was a French-Canadian, great guy, great writer. He, wrote, he was a sports editor, Le Soleil in Quebec, covered the Canadians. And he gives me a big hello. He says, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm going to uh, uh, do a piece on uh, Bobby Russo. And a bunch of writers, you know, they were kind of lined up. I didn't know what the heck was going on with these guys. But I said, well, uh, I said, how do I get into the room before he, he points to me? He said, that's the way you go in. He didn't have a chance to say the rest of the words that he should have said, he was going to say. And I walk in the room and there's nobody else there but the players, you see? And before I could do anything, Tobe Blake walks into the room. He says, what the hell are you doing in this room? And get out of here. He nearly blew me out of the room. Of course, I didn't realize I wasn't supposed to go in because I didn't have permission to go in. And when I went out, Claude said, well, I I should have told you not to go in. (laughs) But he didn't tell me, and that's how I got blown out. So there you go. You shared some contentious stories. I'm sure there were a lot of good memories, too. What, what are some of your memories of, like, good times or certain players that stood out or good relationship you've built over the years? One of the, one of the absolute greatest times was uh, being affiliated with the Devils early on. And the 87-88 season was the season when uh, they were catching the Rangers. And this was the, they had never made the playoffs. And it got to the point where Sean Burke joined the team out of the uh, Olympics. And they started to get hot. Jim Schoenfeld was the coach. And now we're coming down to the final weekend of the season. And they had that big game in Buffalo where it was a 2 2 tie. And Schoenfeld put, Bobby Sove in, and Bobby Sove got a 2-2 tie, but they got a point out of it, and they were still alive. And it came down to the final night of the season. The Rangers are playing Quebec at the Garden. The Devils are in Chicago. And what do you think I'm doing? I'm invited on Bill Mays' 10 o'clock Sports Extra show. Now, Bill was a very dear friend of mine. He, in addition to being a very dear friend of mine, he was... He hated the Rangers, and that made him a Devils fan, right? <laughs> so now I'm in the studio, and I'm watching the Rangers game. And, of course, the Rangers, I think they beat him, beat Quebec 3-zip. So that meant the Devils had to win to get in. And, of course, now we're watching the Devils game. The Devils tied, 
and it goes into overtime. And when it goes into overtime, we have to go on the air. So we don't know what's what's happening, you see? We don't we and we're watching, you know, we're doing, he's doing the show. He's talking about this, he's talking about that. And we're and I'm thinking, what what is happening in Chicago? And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, a uh, a copy boy walks in and he holds something up to Bill, and it's the Devils winning the game in overtime. Johnny McLean's goal. And we go nuts. I mean, you go, we went as nuts as we could go, you know. Uh, and, and that's had to, had to be one of the greatest thrills in my life, just the way it unfolded. And then after the game, uh, Bill took uh, me out to the local bar and I, I only drink Bloody Marys, no ice with a little vodka. Uh, I only drink them on special occasions. I had a double for that night. <laughs> it was Bloody's Mary. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you one thing. What I, I have to, you know, people ask me, what, what did you do to get this honor? And I said, well, one of the things I didn't do when they, had, you know, when we did the press conference, I wanted to say, that I made up a hockey joke. And the joke was based on a previous joke. And the original joke is two shrinks meet in the street and one says, you're fine, how am I? <laughs> British my, joke, my joke was two NHL coaches meet in the street and one says, you're fired, how am I? <laughs> Speaks perfectly to the business too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, Stan, like the stories you tell are fabulous. Your attention to detail, your memory is astounding. You know, as you as you took us through 1939, through the announcement that you are going to be inducted on December 9th into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame, you know, it, it was not only a travel log, but it really was a story of the history of hockey. Uh, you know, we say, you know, six degrees of separation, but it's like three degrees of separation for you and this sport. You, you've you seen and really done it all. How does that make you feel? Uh, well, I'm a historian, right? You know how you become a historian? You have to be old. <laughs> You're amazing. I've, well, seen, yeah. I've seen things. I was there. I was there when Jock Plant got the puck right in his mug and he looked like he was dead. And they took him off. There's a river of blood. And uh, 20 minutes later, Jacques Plant comes out wearing this ridiculous Halloween mask. You know, it was... November 1st, 1959. That was the day after Halloween. I thought somebody had left the Halloween mask. I mean, it was the most bizarre thing. And, you know, I've, I've seen there. I was there uh, for the Devils when they, when they won the Cup. And I got to tell you something. We were so worried after they won the third straight, we still were afraid that Detroit was going to come back. And it wasn't until Sean... Sean Chambers got that slap shot goal, his second of the game, by the way, in the third period. <laughs> we finally 
good breed and say that, yes, they are going to win the cup. So, I mean, being there for the first, I was there for Nystrom's goal when the Islanders won the, that first cup. You got to be old. <laughs> no, you have to be. Well, listen, that that's a benefit. There's no question. You can't see an event if you can't see an event. But you also have to be diligent, energetic, enthusiastic, and more than that, great at what you do. And I know for, you know, all the accolades you have received, you have remained very humble. Uh, and, and, and that's another attribute that should not go unnoticed or unmentioned. But the fact of the matter is, doesn't matter. You could live to be a hundred and hopefully you exceed that. But if you're not good at what you do, let me tell you, let me tell you something about, uh, age and what hockey has done hockey has kept me young i've never really emotionally got past age 14 i mean <laughs> and you know that and you know but what what no seriously what hockey is the most passionate of sports no question about it. and people involved in it are the most passionate people the passion has erased the age factor so i am as enthused about the game as I was when I was 14, like yelling like a, a shmageggy at the referee. And you can tell Sam there that you saved me because I nearly got into a fist fight with a guy in the playoffs between the Devils and the, uh, the Panthers because I was watching the game and I got so passionate about it. So I, uh, my biggest problem was and has been to this day is putting the brakes on the passion. <laughs> well, I know we're coming up against the end of the time, but I do got to hear that story. <laughs> Maddie, <laughs> Maddie saved your life. Maddie saved, my, Maddie saved me. This guy had 25 pounds on me. <laughs> I was there to help my man, but uh, there was that. There was also, a, 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 a we were in Boston one time and we were in the, Celtics locker room. That was where our studio was. And there was a divider that separated the Bruins pre and post game and intermission gang from the devils and the Bruins. Uh, and, and I want you to tell a Panther story, but this is another one. So talk about passion. So the Bruins are beating the devils. And anytime the Bruins did something good, you could hear their crew I, I, all excited about it. Well, the devils come back and win. And I forget who scored the goal, but Stan yells at the top of his lungs. I'll clean it up a little bit. Take that Boston. Take that. As you were just getting back at, at their crew for giving it to us. But uh, seriously, I want you to tell that Florida Panther story because it's, it's a beauty. Well, there are several. I don't. I, the the one that uh, that I was referring to was we were standing in a corridor, you know, by the ice level, and I, we were on the left, and there was this uh, guy, this Florida TV guy. I don't remember. I don't even know if I knew his name, and it was one of these things. This was when I'm pretty sure that uh, Scott Niedermeyer got into the uh, fight with that tough guy on uh, on yeah, Peter Morrell. Yeah, and it was a head with a stick. That's a thing. And I, 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 since I wasn't on the air, I started to uh, 
uh, add my uh, comment and uh, this guy didn't like my comment and I didn't like this guy not liking my comment and uh, and uh, you were like uh, referee Arthur Donovan doing the uh, <laughs> I was separating the boys let's hey 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 let's back it up let's back it up but uh, but that was uh, that was that was well you know there were there were there was so there was so many incidents but I, I must tell you one of my favorite uh, devil stories because most people don't know this. I'm sure if you do know it, tell me. But do you know that there was a roast for Lou Lamorello? There was a Lou Lamorello roast. Did you know no. that? No. Well, there was. And Lou being Lou, uh, it was uh, a secret. Uh, only, it wasn't, you know, and no kidding aside, it was no, no cameras, no nothing. It was friends. And it was at the Yogi Berra Museum in, uh, at Montclair State. It was during one of the uh, longer lockouts, and it was late, uh, late in the winter. And I was the host, and I told this story about Lou. Of course, obviously Lou was there, and I said to the audience that people don't understand Lou. People think that he yells and he screams. He's got this image, you know, being the uh, the boss. And I said, that's wrong. And I told this story about every year Lou would invite me to dinner, just me and Lou in the middle of the winter. And he would always ask me the same question, how can I improve the team? And in this particular uh, season, it was toward the end of Johnny McLean's uh, career. He was in the twilight. And Johnny and I were good friends. And one day Johnny says to me, you know, I want you to do me a favor. See if you can get me off the third or fourth line. I want to be back. I think I should be back in the first line. So, I mean, Johnny's a nice guy. How am I going to, what am I going to do? So, Week later, <laughs> Lou invites me to dinner, right? Now, I'm telling this story at the roast, right? And I said, you know, the mistake is that Lou yells and screams. He doesn't. I said, what Lou does, he gives you the glare. <laughs> That's all he had to do was do the glare, you see. So now I'm having dinner with Lou. This is what I'm telling the audience at the roast. and. Lou says to me, Stan, what do you think I should do to improve the team? <laughs> I said, Lou, I think you ought to have the coach, whoever the coach was, I think you ought to have the coach put Johnny McClain back on the first line. <laughs> and Lou gave me the glare. <laughs> and when Lou, this is what I told him. And I said, when Lou gave me the glare, I did something I had never done before or since in my life. I picked up the check. <laughs> of course, I could do that because Lou would never let anybody pick up the check. So anyhow, that was that was the gag uh, that I, or the story I told at the roast. But the postscript is there were four of us who did the roasting. And then Lou came on. And I have to tell you this, Lou was funnier than the four of us put together. I could not believe he was a riot. You know, he was like Dangerfield times 10. And uh, 
But so that to me was a great, what an honor, what an honor. I was uh, the head of the Lula Amarillo roast that nobody knows about, the secret roast. And I also emceed a testimonial for Gary Bettman. And did one for Gary Bettman at some fancy schmancy hotel on 59th Street. And I, I, actually, uh, I actually pulled off about three good jokes at that one. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's an all time high, I think. But at any rate, the honor will be yours, Stan, on December 9th in Denver when you're inducted into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame, along with Peter McNabb, as you mentioned, longtime association with the New Jersey Devils. His dad, of course, an executive in the beginning years, and he was a player and a broadcaster and Paul Holmgren joining uh, you and Peter in that great honor. Congratulations on that. More stories to come but well-deserved, and thanks for sharing so much of your insight and stories. And uh, the love I have for you is uh, unending, my friend. Uh, you were instrumental in my career in so very many ways. We had a blast all those many years, and uh, I'm happy and privileged and uh, very uh, proud to call you a I dear friend. two things to say. Two things to say. And I'm very touched by what you said, and I, my answer is the vice is versa. And my second Question is, how was this rehearsal? <laughs> Were we recording? <laughs> Stan, we look forward to seeing you uh, when you come to the States. We know that you reside now in Israel with your son, Simon, and his family. And uh, when you do come to the States for that great honor, we uh, hope to be able to join you. It looks like it works out in the devil's schedule. But at any rate, you know, our, our hearts uh, uh, will be with you and our thoughts, of course. Stan, thanks so much uh, for your time, as always. And again, congratulations. That fight. Uh, in Florida, <laughs> I don't I, I don't know that I was concerned that it would really come to blows. But listen, the Maven is passionate about what he does. And if you go at him, he's going to come back at you twice as hard, defending his position, defending his turf. And I'm just there covering a game. I'm going, what is going on here? But uh, the Maven, God bless him, still going, going to be 90 years old in March. Uh, and, you know, sometimes, Sam, with Hall of Famers, when it takes too long, people go, well, why did it take so long? He or she stopped playing and the statistics hadn't changed in 10 or 15 or 30 years. Here's the thing about Stan. He's still working. Yeah. So he oh, has you know. continued to work and add to his resume. So uh, it's taken far too long. But the Hall of Famer, uh, what what a joy uh to uh, have worked with him and call him a friend and just so happy for him. Just so happy for him. And, and he started in college in the fifties, early fifties. So here we are 70 plus years later, he's still working, churning out books, churning out articles. Obviously he writes Sundays with Stan for the devil's you know website that we post every week on Sundays. And, and the guy's just a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of information and a wealth of stories, not just, you know, going to blows, with you over the devils, but I just, I do love the passion. And I think it really translates, uh, obviously translated in that interview we just had, it also translates in his articles, like how excited he gets, how passionate he is, how into it he is. And actually maybe my favorite story from that whole thing was the, the one against the Bruins where uh, their broadcast was kind of him and Han and giving it. And then when the devils came back to win, he gave it right back to them. And, and you love seeing that too, because we are fans, you know, obviously we have a, a profession and we have to conduct ourselves in certain instances, but we are still deep down fans of this sport and are passionate about our team, especially when you follow them as closely as we do. And I love to see that aspect of it. And uh, the passion continues for Stan Fischler. Again, a well-deserved 
uh, honor coming his way December 9th. He's officially inducted into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame, joining Peter McNabb and Paul Holmgren. And Sand continues to do it continues to crush it and it's uh it's it's just amazing to witness so that'll wrap up this edition of speak of the devil sam always uh, good to spend time with you and you as well manny and stan as well uh, the maven himself uh speak of the devils presented by rwj barnabas health the official health care provider of the new jersey devils thank you so much to you our listeners we appreciate your company until next time be safe be well we'll talk to you soon bye-bye